Welcome to Brit David Podcast, as Pastor Tim brings us a message today entitled Amazing Grace from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. One of the most popular Christian hymns of all time is Amazing Grace. Not only is the tune memorable, but the words are so meaningful, it is a song that nearly everyone can relate to. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. There may not be a more beautiful picture of God's amazing grace than in the story of David and Mephibosheth, a crippled boy literally living in the middle of nowhere, impoverished, who views himself as a dead dog. He's carried to the palace, treated like the prince he truly is, and eats at the king's table for the rest of his days. Here's Pastor Tim. In fact, I had not heard, Sean, I hadn't heard, come you sinners poor and needy in a long time. That's a good, that's a good hymn. It sure is. In fact, there's a lot of favorite hymns that we have. Let's play a game tonight. Um, You know, the game, uh, it's a hymn game, and it's not like, um, it's, it's not like when the ministry music calls out, this is favorite hymn night, you know? Mr. Music called out his favorite hymn night, and a little old widow in the back said, well, good, because I like him, and I like him, and I like him. It's not that kind of game. So this is Name That Tune. You know this game? Somebody gets up and they say, I can, I can tell you that song in one note. Right? All right, so give us one note. Got it? All right, let's do two notes. You're the piano player. I'm going to let you do that. Let's go. (laughs) Amazing Grace. That's it. Let's play it. a good song, isn't it? I mean, it's just one of those favorites for a good reason, because of that message it is. Now, you know, we know the story of the slave trader that gets saved and all that stuff, but the reality is that song becomes personal for us, and those personal stories of God's grace are amazing when we look at those things. You would expect us then to be turning tonight somewhere in the New Testament, I suppose. You know, I would think that I would probably be turning somewhere into Romans for something like Amazing Grace. But instead, we're going to 2 Samuel. We're going to the Old Testament. 2 Samuel chapter number 9. Tonight, we're going to look at really one of Sean's favorite passages in all of the Bible. It's the story of Mephibosheth. What a name. We don't, uh, we, don't, we don't name any kids Mephibosheth much anymore. I have some friends who are pregnant. I may make suggestions 
to them. I don't think that they'll listen to any of that. But Mephibosheth and his story is amazing. The story of Mephibosheth and what happens to him is nothing short of real, genuine grace. In fact, this is, I think, one of the best places in all of the Old Testament to go that you might see God's grace put on display. It follows along the song somewhat, but tells us what God's grace really is like. If you're there in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, let's begin the story in verse number 1. It says, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? The fact that we were in 1 Samuel this morning and in chapter number 28 and and being able to look ahead at some of the verses and, and chapters that follow, we know what that scene was like. There were the Philistines right there threatening the the army of Israel and Saul blindly leads them right into battle even though he had he had somewhat of a warning we would say. For him to lead them into battle, we understand from that that not only Jonathan was killed, but all of Saul's sons were killed in that same battle. And as you continue to read through, you discover that that Saul himself takes an arrow to the chest. And when he does, it is a mortal wound that's finally going to get him, but the Philistines are closing in. And so Saul tells his servant, you cannot let me be taken captive. I cannot be taken captive and be taken alive. I want you to thrust your sword through me. And the servant says, I ain't doing that. You know, I am not doing that to the king, that's for sure. He refuses and we read ahead that Saul actually falls on his own sword, commits suicide there on that particular day, and that's how he dies. Who is it that takes over for Saul as reigning over Israel? It's King David, right? David takes over for him. David has a little bit of a mess that he has to clean up. There are a few things that will take him just a few short years that he's able to gather things together to bring his nation back to a place of peace. And as soon as he does, the very first thing that he wants to do is to show some kindness to Jonathan. Why is that? I mean, you would almost expect the opposite. Jonathan was the king's son. Jonathan was the one who was in line to be the king. Saul wanted that desperately, even though Saul, or even though Jonathan never seemed to really want that. Jonathan should have been the next king. And yet now here it is, David. It's David who becomes king. Not of the family line of Saul. He was one of Saul's enemies. Saul threw those spears at him, at least on two occasions, trying to pin him to the wall. You would think that David, the new king, would be out for blood. 
to make sure that there's not anybody left who could claim a rightful place on that particular throne. We discover that there is one who's left. His name is Mephibosheth. But David doesn't know him. David doesn't know about him. David doesn't know where he is or who he is or even that he even exists. If David would have just continued on, he's brought his land to peace, sit back and enjoy that for a little while. It's not going to last. Sit back simply and enjoy the peace and leave Jonathan and any of his relatives alone. But David had made a vow to Jonathan that he would take care of his family once he became king, Jonathan knew. Jonathan knew not only that David would be king, but Jonathan also knew how new kings and new regimes act. So he asked David to take care of his children. One of those is this one that we meet. What it tells me in these first few verses that we've read is, grace reaches out. Grace takes the initiative Grace acts even when you don't know what the circumstances are. David doesn't know if there is a relative. He's simply asking, is there one? Is there still anyone? He says in verse number one. He asks later, Ziba, is there someone? Is there anybody anywhere? Is there somebody somewhere? He says that I might show kindness to for Jonathan's sake. The Bible says that David loved Jonathan like his own soul. There's nothing funny to read about in that. As as some, especially in the day that we live in, says these were deep, deep friends. I have a friend like that. I have a friend that I met when I first started doing youth ministry down there just south of Memphis. And I met him, and I met the lady that would become his wife. And I, frankly, I didn't have any friends. I mean, not any friends that lived around where I was. And so I remember seeing this guy and thinking, that's the kind of person I want as a friend. So I began to pray. God, I, <laughs> I need a friend. I want that guy to be my friend. So I went to the Bible and in the book of Galatians and then in the story of David and Jonathan, the Bible says that God knit their hearts together. And the Bible says in in Galatians that God knits our hearts together in love. And so I'd simply ask the Lord, God, would you knit my heart to the heart of Paul the way that you knit the heart of David to the heart of Jonathan? I want a friend that will stick with me when times are difficult. I want a friend that I can enjoy the good times in life with. I want a friend that I can just walk with and that I can count on. If you want a friend like that, and you don't have a friend like that, two suggestions I'd make to you. One is ask God to give you somebody. Ask God to bring somebody into your life that can be that kind of friend. The second thing I'd say is this, start being that kind of friend. 
The Bible says, whoever wants to have friends must himself first be friendly. So you be that kind of friend and ask God to bring you that kind of friend. All right, back to our story. David and Jonathan, best of buds, right? David wants to do something that will honor his fallen friend. He wants to do something for his family. David is now finally in a place where he can do that. When he's just the shepherd boy, when he's the one that is completely overlooked, even amongst all of his brothers, nobody would have picked David to be the next king. But God did. When there's nobody else, and you can't do anything for anybody else, that's one thing. But when you have some means and you can help somebody, that's exactly where David is. And he has determined that he's going to use this position that he has and all of the resources that he has to find this out. Now, this morning I had a bunch of questions for you from that passage. I got one for you for this one. David is married to Jonathan's sister. Her name is Michael. All right, so that's the first problem already. <laughs> She's named Michael. But anyway, David doesn't love Michael. Michael loves David. David does not love her in return. But Michael is Jonathan's sister. Why doesn't Jonathan, I mean, why doesn't David go ask his wife? Who else is in your family? Who's in, who's in your family, in Jonathan's family? Who is somebody? Shouldn't she have known about Mephibosheth? But he never asks her. It tells me an awful lot about their home life. It tells me about their love life, about their marriage. But it also tells me about her connection with her family. There's some real lessons, family lessons, that are in this passage, just simply what is not said in these verses. But the thing about grace is it never waits for all the answers. It goes seeking. Grace goes asking the questions. Grace doesn't sit back and wait. If somebody from Jonathan's house will come to me, then I will be gracious to him. Grace reaches out. Grace takes the initiative. Grace is the one that says, is there somebody somewhere? Is there anybody anywhere that I can show this kindness to? I've got it. And I'm ready to give it. I just need the right person to give it to. One of the beautiful things about this passage is the initiating nature of grace. So number one, grace reaches out. Number two, grace recognizes. Grace recognizes. Grace recognizes what? Grace recognizes truth. Grace recognizes Circumstances, grace recognizes condition, grace recognizes these things. It does not act as if it's blind. Grace is not blind to the situation that you're in. Grace understands that you are a sinner. 
Grace understands that you have fallen short of God's glory and that you deserve to be punished. Grace understands those things and recognizes them. And yet, in spite of that, still reaches out, still takes the initiative, still does something for you that you would never, ever be able to do for yourself. Let's pick up where we left off, right there in the middle of verse number 3. After David says, isn't there someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Ammoni in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amittai, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he said, here is your servant. Look at verse 7. David said to him, Do not fear. Do not be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Mephibosheth knows his condition. David doesn't know his condition. David doesn't know what Mephibosheth is like. He's just heard his name for the very first time. And simply says, go and get him. So we learn a number of things about Mephibosheth in this story. In fact, turn back, if you will, hold your place here in chapter 9. Go back with me to chapter 4 for just a moment. I think let's just cut to the chase. Let's just go to verse number four. All right? You can read all that context at another time. Second Samuel chapter four, verse number four. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. What's the news? The news is, is that they are dead. Okay? When they hear that, his nurse took him up and fled. Now, why did she do that? Because she knows. She knows how the real world operates. She knows that this little boy is in danger. If he is the son of who was supposed to be the next king, this little prince, if somebody knows about him, it doesn't matter that he's five years old, he's going down. Right? And so she takes off with him. I'm going to take this boy, and I'm going to hide him, and I'm going to raise him, and we're going to take care of him. I'm going to save this boy's life. That's what she's doing. But notice, everything doesn't go as planned. It says, the nurse took him up and fled, and it happened. 
as she made haste to flee, that he fell and became lame. So his name was Mephibosheth. There's all kind of speculation about what had happened. Did she, was she carried him and she fell on him? Did they fall among the rocks? Did they fall down a cliff? I don't know what happened. All I know is she's fleeing with him, trying to spare his life. He falls at least, and he comes up lame, and he's never going to be made right from that. Maybe it's because no one set his bones right once they were broken. Maybe it's because he doesn't have the therapy that he needs. For whatever reason, this boy is not only lame when he's five years old, he's going to still be lame by the time we get to chapter number nine, and he's going to be lame for the rest of his life. He's always going to be that way. That is his condition. And he knows that. By the time we get to chapter number nine, Mephibosheth is probably about 21 years old. It's time now. It's time for him not only, I mean, he's living in Makir's house. But it's not up to Makir to take care of, not this boy, but to take care of this man. It's time for Mephibosheth to do something. It's time for him to earn his own keep. What does a lame man do to keep, to keep himself? afternoon on the way home, I saw a man in a wheelchair in his front yard raking leaves. I thought, I guess I don't have an excuse. <laughs> you know, sometimes you can overachieve, but the reality is, is that this boy has no hope. He has no chance. I mean, he can't rightfully say, I'm the prince. I deserve to be the one sitting on the throne. Because then he's dead, right? He didn't get to say that. He can't really go get a job. We see these beggars sitting by the wayside in the same kind of condition that he is. Maybe that's what he's in for for the rest of his life. And then there's the day when the knock comes. And if you know the story, you're thinking, just in time. Somebody comes along to rescue Mephibosheth. Guarantee you that's not what Mephibosheth thought. When there are soldiers out there, knock it on the door and says, come with us. There's only one thing that he thinks about. He's been discovered and he's going down. He even already knows it, doesn't he? You notice what he called himself at the end of verse number 8? Why would you treat me like this? I'm just a dead dog. Mephibosheth lives in a place called Lodabar. It's a word that simply means nothing. No place. So even though David is looking for anybody anywhere, somebody somewhere who he's found is a nobody from nowhere that he's going to show kindness to. Mephibosheth does not have the credentials to demand anything from this king. That's why you see the king saying to him, do not fear. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. He is afraid. I mean, if his little legs worked, his knees would be knocking, right? He is, 
he is frightened of what's coming his way. And David only has good things for him. Pastor Tim invites you to join us tomorrow for the conclusion of his message, Amazing Grace, from 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is churchoffice at brittdavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Britt David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Britt David Podcast.